Father, we ask for your blessing on these kids, especially on their memories, that the memories of, that they've had for these uh, last few days, these last five days that they've spent at this church would just be like indelible ink, that they would not go away, a sharpie in the mind, that they would remember the things that they were taught, the instruction that they received, the fun time that they had with each other and with those who were serving. Father, may it resonate in a time of need. May they remember the fruits of the Spirit, everything that is necessary for those who wish to be called your own. We know, Lord, that you may call us to do many things, but we do understand that children are precious in your sight. So help us to be faithful to minister to them. And also, Lord, may you minister to us through your word. May it be something that just stands out and, and causes us to take a stand that we would not compromise in our walks with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, we left off with divorce. Jesus was talking about divorce, and I'm just going to read those couple of verses there to start with. In verse 31 of chapter 5, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. These are some pretty strong words. We're going to read the other uh, gospel accounts of this. But Jesus basically said there should be no divorce. There should be no remarriage. It should be one man, one woman for their entire lives until death do you part. But this thing about divorce, have you ever heard the statistic that one out of every two couples divorces or 50% of those who marry actually divorce? Well, somebody decided to check out those statistics and they could not come up with the studies that actually said that. In the 70s, they started keeping track of the number of divorces in our country And the divorces in the 70s to 80s, they were on the increase. And what they did is they extrapolated out to the future. And they said that eventually it could reach 50%. But it has never gotten close to 50%. It is not even close. So this idea of divorce that is taking place, there are several statistics that this one woman, Shanti Feldham, she went back and she tried to do some investigation. She even went back to the Barna group that said the divorce rate was really high, but they left out some statistics, some vital information. And she said that 50% divorce rate is a total myth and about 71% of women are still married to their first spouse. 71% of the women who marry, married to their first spouse. And they said that the remaining 29%, which includes widows, were married for over 50 years. And, you know, so that's encouraging to see that, that the marriage isn't on the decline, even though there would be people out there who would like to see the demise of marriage. And a more realistic statistic is about 20% to 25% of first marriages end in divorce. You know, for everything that you would consider, 20 to 25%, I'm not saying that that's good, but that's certainly better than the 50%. And then second marriages, the real numbers suggest about 65% of people are still married in their second marriages. And the remaining 35% include divorce and death. And so that's why these 
marriages come to their demise after a second marriage. But you know, one thing that they found that was very, very important on maintaining a marriage was church attendance. This woman, she went back to the Barna group and they decided to recalculate everything that was going on. And they found, they asked the question, did you get, get a divorce or not get a divorce? And did you attend church last week? And if you ask somebody randomly, did you attend church last week? Well, chances are they're going to church all the time if you just ask them a random question like that. And it said in the study, we found the divorce rate drops somewhere between 25 and 50 percent just based on church attendance. So for no other reason, you would attend church. Now, what is it that church is going to do for you? That would keep you from getting a divorce. What is it exactly? I mean, what's the magic pill? Twenty. If you had this type of reduction in cancer, they would say, it's a miracle. But when it comes to divorce and marriage, that type of thing, some people say, well, you know, church attendance. What is it exactly that happens inside of a church? Well, number one, there's fellowship. People get to talk and they get to pray with each other. And they communicate and women will go to women saying, you know, I'm having a horrible time in my marriage and, and you shouldn't say too many things as far as detail is concerned because you don't want to impugn your husband if you're a woman and for a man, you don't want to go to other men and say, my wife is this, that and the other thing and grumble and complain about her. I'm telling you, nothing that you can do as far as the realm of complaint will assist your wife in becoming a better woman. There's not one single thing that you can do, especially if she finds out that you're complaining. I'm telling it's, well, you get it. It's this idea. So the fellowship that we would experience, that's number one. Number two, you get to hear teaching about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Well, what about this? What does the Bible specifically have to say? And I'm going to get into specifics, what it has to say. Like, when can you get a divorce? And when can you remarry? Those types of things are vital. And so you would come to church and you'd hear that. And if you hear me or any other pastor or any other Bible teacher tell you, this is what God requires as far as marriage, divorce, and remarriage is concerning. Would you just simply say, I'm not going to pay any attention to that. I'm just going to do what I want. How many people continue in church that do that? Not many. And the ones that do, are supposed to be instructed sometimes in a gentle manner. Look, you ought not to be doing this. And sometimes in a more firm man- manner or even a rebuke where you say, you are stepping over the line. You should not be doing this. You know, things that cause um, divorce and ultimate remarriage is the wandering eye or getting something from somebody else that you ought not to get like men for instance shouldn't meet with a woman alone or somebody doesn't know that you're right there and able to check on you if there's some reason you have to meet well that's wonderful but like vice president uh, mike pence he has practiced that and he was ridiculed for that but look at his marriage for all intents and purposes from what i understand he has a great marriage not so much with other people in Washington, but he's doing, you know, really well with his wife. So it's good for us just by example, those leaders who follow that, it would be good for us to follow that or a woman who becomes emotionally attached to somebody who's not her husband. That is not good. You're supposed to talk to your husband, what the woman might say, but he never talks. 
then there's counseling. And you can go to counseling to try to work some of that out. But this idea of maintaining a marriage when you're going to church, you have a much better chance not to fall into divorce if you simply attend church. Now, reasons for divorce, I gave you several reasons last week why divorce may take place, and all of them were basically made-up reasons. And the one that is the exception that Jesus talks about is adultery. But, of course, I mentioned Hillel and Shammai. Hillel said, he was a Jewish rabbi, he said, you can get divorced for anything, and Shammai said, only for uncleanness, which is sexual immorality. And you know the Apostle Paul. Now, at one time, he was probably married, but at the time that he was the Apostle Paul, he was not married. And he said about marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he was getting questions about virgins pledged to be married. And sometimes the flower of their age was getting beyond the time. And should they marry? Should they not marry? Is the Lord going to come back? What's going to take place? And he goes, if you want to marry, go ahead and marry. And if you don't want to marry, then don't marry. But he goes on with it. He says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. So what was his view of marriage? It's good. We have to have marriage to continue the population growth. It's all good. You, you know, mom and dad and raising kids. That's good. But if you get married, you're signing up for trouble. Often when I do a wedding, I'll ask him, are you sure? Because the apostle Paul said, if you get married, you're going to have trouble. Are you ready for the trouble? And they go, uh-huh okay, let's go. And we go through the wedding ceremony and we, we do everything for them to get them married in the eyes of God. But the only person who has never had a quarrel with their spouse is the one who has never been married. Everybody who gets married eventually has a quarrel with their spouse. Now, it may be a lot, it may be a little, but the individuals have to learn to die to themselves. And these people who say marriage is 50-50, no, it's not 50-50. It's 100%, 100%, or 100%, 10%. It's still 100%. That's what God says. You give it all. You're, you're not signing up to get out of marriage what you can get. You're signing up for marriage to give to yourself or give yourself to the other person. And the other person gets to receive everything from you. And that works both ways. If one person says, well, I'm doing all the work and I'm stopping, I'm not doing anymore. Well, you know, at that particular point, the marriage starts going on a downhill slide. When each spouse decides to give themselves fully like we would to the Lord, then the marriage will survive. The marriage will thrive. It will be good if each partner in the marriage can learn to die to themselves. Now, other scriptures concerning divorce. Matthew chapter 19, verses 2 through 11. I'm going to read these to you. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Of course, they were talking about Hillel, the school of Hillel. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. He said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. And so they asked, 
Did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? They're trying to challenge Jesus here. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it's not, excuse me, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, and here's the death throw. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. I'm sure that they were just shocked and bug-eyed at that point. Their eyes opened up like, are you kidding me? No one can get a divorce. And so he goes on, or it goes on to say in verse 10, the disciple said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. And of course, Jesus was not married, right? He's going, "Uh, yeah, that is the case. And he goes on to say, not everyone can accept this word, but only to those to whom it has been given. And he's talking about this gift of singleness or the gift of celibacy. That's a gift. It, it, not everybody can receive that. I currently do not have the gift of celibacy. I, I've never claimed that I did. And most of you in here, I doubt if many of you have that gift in here. Maybe some of you do. But you know if you do. There is absolutely no desire for the opposite sex. No, I'm very content the way I am. Thank you very much. And you, basically from birth, you just don't want to get married. You you don't want to have anything to do with anyone else. Now, verse 2 of chapter 10 in Mark says, Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He responds again by saying, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. So the actual act of divorcing and then marrying someone else as a divorcee or if they are divorced, if you marry them, you commit adultery. And some people would say, that is so unfair. What, what do you mean? I can't remarry. What? What is going on with that? This seems so narrow. It seems so, and the word would be bigoted. It's such a bigoted view. It's so narrow-minded, so narrow-minded. It's kind of like you can look through a keyhole with both eyes at one time. That's narrow-minded. I'm, that's how you're viewing this thing. It is so tiny, the, the room that God gives here. Luke chapter 16, verse 18. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. It's pretty clear. Malachi chapter 2 verse 16 says, I hate divorce, God says, or says the God of Israel. And the Pharisees apparently were preoccupied with divorce. They'd be married to one woman, she'd be displeasing, then they'd debate whether or not you're in the school of Hillel, or the school of Shammai, and can you divorce, can you not divorce, and you'd have the factions going on there. But they were obsessed with marrying and remarrying and divorcing. You know, Chrysostom was an early church father. He wrote on the Beatitude, For he that is meek and a peacemaker and poor in spirit and merciful, how shall he cast out his wife? 
He that is used to reconciling others, how shall he be at variance with her that is his own? In other words, he's saying if a person exhibits the Beatitudes, most importantly and primarily, he'd be exhibiting those Beatitudes with his wife or the wife with the husband. And I'm going to say this, I know it's a little controversial, but the only reason, and I'll explain it after I say it, the only reason divorce takes place is because of selfishness. Now let me qualify that. There's one spouse or the other that is not getting what they want, or they want something that they're being prevented from getting by their spouse, but there's some desire that is not being met, and as a result, they decide, I'm done with the marriage. It's not fulfilling me, and so it is self-motivated to do that. Now, there are extenuating circumstances. What if the guy is like a murderer? What if he's a drug abuser? What, I mean, what if he is a child molester? I mean, there's several different things that can come in there, but it's still selfishness. It, like if this was the husband that was doing all that, the husband is being selfish. He will not exercise self-control. And so that selfishness is the cause of the divorce and the woman divorced to protect either herself or her children. So when I say selfishness, it's not meant to condemn the people who got the divorce, but there is at the root, somebody is acting selfishly. It may be one or it may be both, but that is the reason we get divorced. So the summary of these previous scriptures, God hates divorce, number one. God's plan for marriage is one man and one woman together until death. Number three, if a man or a woman divorces and then remarries someone else, they commit adultery. And number four, when a divorce takes place, both parties are to remain single or be reconciled to one another, which is a verse I'll get to in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And so that's a tough one too. Divorce in scripture is never encouraged, required, or recommended. I will have people come to me and they say, do you think that I should get a divorce? <laughs> and there may be extenuating circumstances, really bad circumstances. I am never, as a pastor or a leader, to encourage somebody or counsel them, get a divorce. I mean, I'm just not supposed to do it. God hates it. I'm not supposed to instruct people to do it. And hopefully, as believers, we don't tell others they should get a divorce. Now, you may not be able to work it out, and I... I get that. And that's a hard road to hoe, so to speak. Farming lingo. You know, go, going down there. That is tough. That is difficult. And you might say, well, for the rest of my life, am I condemned to be single? And they look at it as a condemnation. Look, there's bad things that happen all the time. I'm supposed to represent to you what Scripture says is the ideal. This is what God wants. I don't want to make excuses for that. I just want to put it out there and say, choose wisely. The person you choose, that's who you're supposed to be with for the rest of your life as a believer. Now, God, I'm sure would have this be for everybody, but specifically for us as believers, we're to follow this pattern. Now, why did God set it up this way? I mean, if you consider how many divorces and marriages that break up and then there's remarriages and then there's families that mold into each other and kids and two or three marriages. Why did God set it up this way? 
Well, it is the best option, number one, for a good life with the least amount of trouble. That's why God set up marriage the way he did. One man, one woman for the rest of their lives. Like a man would say, one woman is enough trouble for any man. And for any woman, one man is enough trouble for any woman. That's the way it works out. Now, what if you start mixing those two? Say you get a divorce and then you have children by the uh, the couples that come after that. These two couples or the one couple breaks up and now you have two couples and then they have children and maybe even a third time. Maybe there's a third little squirt that comes along and, and you think to yourself, okay, so who do we go to on Christmas? Do we go to all the families? Do we not? And what about a Mother's Day and Father's Day and birthdays and... Talk about a hassle. It's hard enough with just a regular family. You know, and Ecclesiastes talks about two being bound together. Now, just as a side note here, if you're married and you're married for decades, long time, you start to resemble each other. Uh, Maybe not physically, although I've seen that. I've seen physically where couples, they begin to resemble each other. They wear the same clothes. They talk the same way. They look about they're like the same height, the same build, all of that. They're almost like twins, but they're husband and wife. I get that. But usually it's in their attitudes on the inside, the things that they believe, the things that they talk about. They become one and they are unified. I, I love seeing the old couples. You know, they uh, <laughs> like if we go on vacation, I'll see an old couple and they're like Patty and I. You know, and we're walking along and they're holding hands, you know, and, and they might be 65, 70 years old and they're having a great time. It's just wonderful. It, it's super to see that. And, and, you know, she'll whisper to him and he'll laugh and look at her and you can tell they're just getting along wonderfully. It's great, but it takes decades to get there. Not to mention the physical relationship inside of marriage. All I can say, it gets better. You know, and, and if, you're, if you're doing marriage right, it gets better. It gets, it, there's more of an intimate relationship. You know each other, and it is just such a blessing. Proverbs says, a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. And he receives favor from the Lord, but you have to stick with it. Is it difficult, though? To go through the marriage process? Yes, Paul already said that. I already read that to you. But Ecclesiastes 4.9 also says, Two are better than one because they have good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two or two can defend themselves. And, and then a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. But this idea of two being together... That's why God called the woman a helpmate. They help each other. Certainly the man helps the woman too. But she specifically is built, constructed to minister to his needs in every way. The second point I want to make with this, why did God set this up? God wanted a male and female to raise children together. Now, I know that there are some men who are more feeling, they're more rounded in their view of life, they probably have a liberal arts degree, and they're artsy and all of those kinds of things, and they really care how somebody feels, but they, by their DNA, cannot have the same nurturing instinct as a woman. Men and women think 
differently. Maybe you've seen the videos how um, a man has a one-track mind. You see the one video where the guy has all these boxes lined up? And for the man, he has a box, and this is the work box. And this is the play box. And this is the sports box. And this is the Home Depot box. And all of those things are for the man. And he is in one box at a time. He just goes to those particular boxes. Where a woman, she has one box. And everything is in the box. And she's going through that one box. All the, And if there's one side, the kids are over here, the husband's over there, then the playtime and the workout time is over here. And it, she's just considering all those things where the guys are mm, one thought at a time. And that's where he goes. And so that's the difference between men and women. There's no way a man can be like that physically they they've determined this the man does not think the same way as a woman when we do these couples retreats we've done them in the past it it's eye-opening for some women to realize that the man doesn't think like they do they don't have the same desires they, and that's why they can watch the tv and not hear their wife say anything at all and then the woman has to hey i'm talking to you you know and, and what 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 do you want i was focusing here you know and the woman doesn't understand. And so there are differences between the men and women. And God wanted one woman and one man to raise children. That's why he did it. And by the way, that's how kids are produced. I don't know if you guys know that, family life in junior high or middle school, but that's what goes on. You need the man and the woman. And the man can provide the strength. And usually men, if they are a, a man's man, so to speak, they will provide the discipline. They will set the tone in the household. And the woman will come along and say, no, honey, don't be too harsh. You know, but the, the woman says, oh, I'm harsh nothing. They're going to learn to do right. You know, and you got those two and they meld together and pretty soon they get it right. And, and that's what God intended. Now, God also wanted to limit remarriage. For all the reasons that I've just told you, the children from multiple marriages under one roof, uh, working out child support. And if you remarry and you have child support for another family, there can be resentment in the family that has to pay the child support. I mean, just all kinds of problems. And then going to court, you add trouble to your life. It's better to not have all the wealth, all the power, all the marriages, and have discontentment. It's better to have nothing and be completely content. So God wanted to limit remarriages. And by the way, when it, it comes to the kids and affecting the kids in these remarriages, there was a 60, 66% reduction in poverty among children whose divorced single mothers remarried. Which, that's a case for remarriages. like, okay, well, these kids aren't going to be in poverty anymore. And a 40% reduction in poverty among children whose mothers cohabitated after a divorce. And so the world would say, ah, you know, the, the situation's improving for these kids. They're no longer in poverty. Yeah, but you haven't calculated in the pain and the trouble of having a new parent and the interpersonal communications that deal with that, all they're looking is at the poverty. The poverty rate of children whose divorced mothers remain single was at 42.4%. And so this, this idea of when a woman divorces, normally she falls in her income. But it, it's better to remain married and work out the situation inside the family so nobody has to take a reduction in income. 
you know, and if two need to work inside the household to make things come together, that's great. But this idea that poverty comes on those, especially these single mothers who are out there trying to make ends meet, it's just very difficult. And there are a ton of statistics over stuff like this. Now, the fourth point on this is God wanted to protect women. And the idea about uh, poverty, 20% of women fall into poverty after a divorce. They, they just lose all the support, and then they've got to raise the kids, and it's just very difficult. Another point is God wanted to limit adultery. That's why he wanted one man, one woman together for life. Don't be veering off the path. It's like a man or a woman. You can choose, if you're a man, you can choose any woman you want. But you can't have any woman that's married to somebody else, and she has to be agreeable. And so that's a wide field. How many people are in this world? Seven billion plus people? I mean, there's a wide swath of people out there. And so God wanted to limit adultery in the population. So he said one man and one woman. God also wanted to limit sin in general. Do you know that marriage is good for uh, curtailing sinful behavior? If it's done right. For instance... Take a young man, set him out there, he comes of age, he drinks a little alcohol, he decides to get a medical marijuana card, of course you don't need that anymore I guess in California, but you start mixing those two things together and, and you put them in an environment where other rowdy boys are together, young men, and what happens? He gets into trouble. A woman comes in and what does he do? He shapes up. I want to make a good impression. You know, I'm dating now. I'm talking like that because it's farm and cowboys and things. And so he probably starts saying, yes, ma'am, you know, something like that to the young little filly that he just met. And and everything needs to be just right. He actually cleans the mud off his truck to take her to the drive-in and, and you know, have a good time. And so that's what the guy does. And he does everything to win her. There used to be a comedian that would say that, well, I'll skip that one. This idea, if a woman, if a woman asked a young man who was courting her to eat some dirt, do you think he would? Now, not all guys would, but I'm telling you, there's a percentage that would. Anything for you, dear. Watch me. And get a spoon and stick that mud right in. I mean, these guys are, they're, one person said they're brain dead. They're brain crazy when they're at that age from about 16 to 24 in there. They will do anything for a woman, especially if he thinks that they're pretty. And so God wanted to limit sin. And the woman, the influence, she wants stability. And he needs to knock off his raucous behavior. And so he kind of shapes up, and he feels good about providing. He feels good about taking care of her. And so you can see how sin gets limited. What if he has outbursts of rage and makes her cry, and then he feels bad for making her cry? So he tries to limit his outrage, his anger. What if he's lazy, and she comes along, she goes, Get off your feet. Get out, you know, mow the yard out there, something like that. And they may have an argument, but you know, he knows it's his responsibility. So a man and woman together will mold each other into what God intends them to be. And also, last point here, God wanted to limit fornication, which leads to children out of wedlock. 
You know, the kids that are being raised out there with uh, out two parents and one parent is absent, they, they don't stand a chance compared to those who are raised in a loving family with both a father and a mother. Now the time, five minutes. Biblical circumstances for the dissolution of marriage. Number one, death. Marriage ends at death. First Corinthians 7.39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes. But he must belong to the Lord. A believer must marry a believer. Biblical circumstance for dissolution of marriage. Number two, adultery. We've already talked about that. Number three, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, if a person is married and they get saved and the other spouse is not saved, nor do they want to be saved, and the unbelieving spouse leaves, they are free to remarry. Scripture says that clearly. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. And when a believing spouse separates, they must not remarry. 1 Corinthians 7.10 To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband must not divorce his wife. If that happens inside the church, people start looking at that and say, well, they divorced and it was okay. So I can do it. And it's by learning. It's by this memorization of seeing other couples do it. And I will tell you right off the bat, some couples that get divorced and get remarried have a better marriage. The second marriage. I... I can't say you're not going to have a better marriage, the second marriage. I don't know that information. And it may be because they learned things from the first marriage that they ought not to repeat or things just got better. But uh, there is this exemption that God has called us to live in peace in 1 Corinthians 7.15. This, this idea that you'd be married to somebody, that there's no peace, but God says you're free to leave, you're free to separate for the sake of peace. Then... A reason for the dissolution of marriage. An unbeliever who becomes a believer who was divorced previously is free to remarry. This is the idea of being unequally yoked together. Second Corinthians 6.14. If you have a couple, they got divorced before they got saved. They separate. One gets saved. The one who gets saved cannot remarry the one who was unsaved. That would be violating scripture. So they also would be free to remarry. If there's some other reason that somebody can get remarried, I really don't know it. It, Abandonment issues, that type of thing. Well, sometimes you can consider somebody who leaves an unbeliever. Some counselors, uh, Jay Adams I believe would be one, would say, if somebody just leaves the marriage, well, you can consider them an unbeliever in some circumstances, and so they may be free to remarry. But this idea of remarriage and adultery, God is very clear on it. He doesn't want us to take the institution of marriage lightly. Proverbs 20, verse 25. It is a trap to dedicate something rashly and only later to reconsider one's vows or Ecclesiastes 5, 5. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. So what do you do if you've gone through a divorce? This touches the lives of just about everyone and touches them deeply. If you have divorced and remarried, confess your sin. 
don't get another divorce because you think, and I've heard pastors say that. Well, you married this one and you remarried. Well, get a divorce and be reconciled. No, don't. Just leave it. Don't, don't mess with anything. Just leave it. Confess your sin. Err on the side of grace. If you're looking on the outside, that's what God calls us to do. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And the admonition from Scripture is, if you're contemplating divorce, stop. And if you're going through or have gone through a divorce, remain single or be reconciled. That's what Scripture says. A lot of people look for reasons why they can remarry. But God's clear. And for all of us, I would say, as I told you last week, the rule is grace. We ought not to point the finger at somebody else saying, you did not follow what the Lord said. Neither did the one who's making the accusation. And so we want to be loving, not condemning. There's a standard in Scripture we want to point to, and we want to make sure everyone knows it. May the God of peace give us understanding in these areas. May he give us his grace to be obedient and the self-control to do what he has asked us to do and to be an example to everyone, both believer and unbeliever. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. This is hard, Lord. This is a difficult teaching. But I pray that your grace would reign, but also that the guidance of your spirit would cause us to be obedient. Father, we sit, fail at so many junctures in life. And you know our failures. And so we ask you collectively as a body, Lord, if we've gone through it, just forgive us. And we ask collectively, Lord, as a body, give us strength to do what is right and to say what is right, all the while knowing that we will be judged with the same measure that we judge with. May you give us wisdom in this, Lord. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.